It's time now for Super Psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell, and your golden years. Good evening, and welcome to Dr. Mara Cartel and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and that's 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracartel.com. And today is Sunday, October the 14th, and we are back in beautiful Austin, Texas in our downtown studio in the Cross Bank Building. And Art Mendoza, the Complicent Entertainment producer of this program, is here to make the show run. And we have another great show in store for you this evening. In a little while after the break, we'll be joined right here in the studio by author and former professor Irma Guadarrama. And she will be joining us to talk about her book, in the Shadow of the Half Moon, Struggles of Women from Central America in Search of a New Life. And I think that will be a really, really interesting and timely discussion. So I'm looking, really looking forward to speaking with Irma about her book. And after that, I will be giving you some news and then following up with a discussion um, into my book, another sneak peek into the book that I think is a good follow-up to Irma's discussion to discuss the passion to create meaning in your life and bring more light into the world. And if this is the first time that you're tuning in, I'm a licensed psychologist from New York City practicing here in Austin, Texas and the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. And I work with adults of all ages and have a specialty of working with seniors and caregivers and for the past few years have also been evaluating veterans for PTSD. And part of the time, my office is in the wonderful Veterans Resource Center, Heroes Night Out, which is located in Cedar Park, Texas. And for information about this great resource for veterans and for veterans' families, check out their website at heroesnightout.org. Do you have a question that you want to ask me or some information that you want me to know about? Please feel free to give me a call. My phone number is 512-626-6973, or you can send me an email to Mara. that's D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmarakarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com, or you can go through my website, drmarakarpel.com, and just click on the contact link. This evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by Dr. Ronald DeVere, neurologist, memory specialist, and author of the book, Memory Loss, Everything You Want to Know But Forget to Ask. To make an appointment with Dr. DeVere at his memory clinic in Lake Bay, Texas, or to purchase a copy of his book, you can call him at 512-261-7909 or send him an email to rdevere, that's R-D-E-V-E-R-E, at austin.rr.com. And his book is also available on Amazon. And this evening's program is also sponsored by Storyhouse. Storyhouse 
gathers your stories and turns them into multimedia collections that can be shared now and for generations to come. Have StoryHouse Ola to conduct a private interview in your home or invite them to your next big event or family reunion. StoryHouse, where your memories live. Find out more at yourstoryhouse.com or call 512-296-8752. So I want to let you know that throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guests, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me, and I will read them on the air to my guests. And my email address is drmara, C-R-M-A-R-A, at drmaracartel.com, C-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. And you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight along with all of the website links given by my guests or myself on the program. And you can also hear the podcast in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com, slash your golden years. And for information um, from previous programs, updates about upcoming programs, to read my blog in thriveglobal.com, to find out about my book, to watch videos, all of that can be done on my website, drmaricartel.com. And you can hear all of the previous shows that we have done for the, almost, for the last almost five years right here on Blog Talk Radio by going directly to Blog BLOG. And also be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Cartel, Your Golden Years, to find out anything new that's coming your way. So upcoming shows, uh, where I'll be doing book signings, blogs as they come to print, Anything new will be posted on my Facebook page, so be sure to follow me there. All right, so we're going to take a brief break. Um, Don't go anywhere because when we come back, Irma Guadarrama joins us right here in our Austin studio to talk about her book, In the Shadow of the Half Moon, Struggles of Women from Central America in Search of a New Life. Okay, we'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. 
Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. All right. Welcome. This is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. And we are back live with Irma Guadarrama, who is here to talk about her book in the, what is it, in the shadow. I always want to say in the light. I it's in the, shadow in the shadow of, of the, half the half moon. moon. Yeah, and I explain that yes. a little bit here. So. Irma, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think that this book is really, really timely. So I am so glad that you're here today to talk about it. Yes, thank you. Thank um, you for the invitation. So before we talk about the book, maybe um, you can give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself and your professional background. <clears throat> Certainly. Well, one important thing that I need to mention uh, is the fact that I and the daughter of immigrant parents. Mm-hmm. So I was um, five years old when my mother and my father and my three siblings at the time came over from the border of uh, Nuevo Laredo. Uh-huh. And um, so uh, it was a, a little uh, crossing of the border. And then when I was around 19 years old, we actually, all of us at that time, there were seven of us, and then my mother and my father, we were able to uh, get the, um, um, the citizenship, the U.S. citizenship. Mm-hmm. And, but um, uh, the other thing that uh, was really very important to me is the fact that I could speak Spanish. And at the time, I was um, looking for a degree. And uh, the program, there was a particular program, teacher corps, that came along that required the students, the teachers, to speak both languages. And it was called bilingual education. I had never heard of it before. In fact, uh, for so long, I had, you know, wanted, uh, because of the, the environment that I was in, I really didn't like the fact that I spoke another language. I didn't mm-hmm. like the fact that I was Mexican. You know, the kind sure. of stuff that we all go through mm-hmm. as children. So... <clears throat> All of this then gave me a really good basis, and uh, and fortunately, I was able to pursue this particular field and allowed me to work with children who were um, learning English as a second language and the parents that were trying to uh, acclimate to their new environment, and so it was easy for me to become an advocate. Uh-huh. Uh, so I did that. Uh, I, I taught, and then I went and got my master's, and then I got my doctorate. Um, I just felt like there was so much that needed to be done. Mm-hmm. And whereas I loved the classroom, I felt like I needed to do something else. And thus, I pursued that route, which was um, quite a quite an experience for me because you know I didn't have the kind of support, um, the uh, the social support, I should say. Um, and that perhaps many do that do eventually get their doctorates. But I was able to do that, and then I taught, um, in particularly in the interdisciplinary fields, and I emphasized language and culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then that took me 
when I went to the University of Houston, I was able to develop a program where um, a, it was in, uh, in Yucatan. It was called the Language and Culture Exchange Program. And we invited uh, students from uh, various universities, and they joined us for uh, uh, about six weeks during the summer. We did this for three consecutive summer mm-hmm. summers. Uh, it was in Tetis, Yucatan. It was a Maya-speaking community. And the whole point was for all of us to engage in what we call service learning. Mm-hmm. And uh, by doing that, we would learn. They, we would exchange the language and culture. Right. And it was an incredible experience. Um, after that, I went to the Valley and learned about so the, the colonias. Rio, the Rio Grande Valley. Yes, the Rio right. Grande Valley. I mm-hmm. learned about the colonias. And I mm-hmm. had students uh, who would tell me about uh, the fact that uh, they uh, their family just went through uh, a, um, a very uh, intense, violent uh, situation in their homes because of the violence that came you know, to the to the border areas, and um, and then I um, and then I retired, but not officially. And then I became uh, involved with South Texas Human Rights, which then got me into Fanfurias and all of that area, looking at migrant deaths, people that were crossing mm. over, and uh, they were they became lost, they became separate, whatever whatever reason, they died, many many deaths, um, all of that. I think began to affect me, in, and I began mm-hmm. to imagine the lives of these people. I then decided to go to Guatemala, and I did some field work. I was very fortunate to uh, get in touch with a group of women, Quiche, Maya-speaking women, who were um, wanted basically uh, they were looking for autonomy. Uh, at the same time, they wanted to. Uh, focus uh, their uh, spirituality and their education more into the Maya uh-huh. uh, culture. And they wanted to bring their children back in because there was so much that's going on. Now, this particular area was affected by the civil war, the 36 years civil war mm-hmm. that Guatemala went through from 1960 to 1996, where 200,000 people were killed. And the whole point of what they were trying to do is to uh, facilitate in the healing process. Because as a result of that, even though it's been that long, there is still residual um, conflict. And there's still a lot of need to Mm -hmm. resolve whatever it is that is keeping people from coming together again. Um, There was so much uh, displacement and so forth. So... uh, So then I go back um, and uh, I relocate here near uh, Austin, and I become involved with. You can just speak a little louder. Become involved with a detention center Uh um, that I really can't tell you the name of it, Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it uh, allowed me to work with the legal team Mm -hmm. to help them help the women who are seeking asylum. This is an all women at the time. Now it's changed, by the way. It's all men now. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so um, I did. I helped them, and in that process, I learned their stories. So this went on for about nine months, something so like that. So was this a volunteer? It's a volunteer job. Mm-hmm. I worked um, two times a week, you know, something like that, uh, as much as I could. Uh-huh. The, the thing about it is that um, 
there really was no training for you to work with these women. Um, so I went in, you know, like I usually do, I just dive into a situation right. and, and um, try to do the best job I can. Um, the first few times that I did that, listening to the, to the women, coaching them, helping them to shape their, uh, their narrative as they prepare to meet with their asylum officer, uh-huh. very important first step. I would go home and um, I would take in all of this and I would just sob. I've had, this happened, I think, several times before mm-hmm. I finally, finally had to, you know, take care of yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, that, uh, and, and I then, then I did have to take a break. Mm-hmm. But I went back. And after that, I had already decided that what I really need to do is to uh, write it all down in a book format. Uh-huh. So that's how uh, I basically um, the question is about myself. I think I've been prepared for all of this since I was five years old. Right. <laughs> there you go. And okay. So, and I'm almost 70, so there we go. Uh, so, it's been a long journey. So when did you start writing the book? <clears throat> um when I was working with the women, they allowed us to take a computer in. So as one of the tasks that I needed to do was to enter their, uh, basically why they were seeking asylum, um, I kept them those notes. Mm-hmm. And I would go back and look at them. And then I began to see a pattern. Then I began to see something that perhaps I could do to help others. Uh-huh. Um, because there were so many voices floating around. Um, of course, the the surge, what we call the Central American migrant surge, uh, these surges have been going on since 2000, what, 11, 2000, way back. Mm-hmm. But, of course, you know, we would, we would see peaks and valleys, mm-hmm. you know. So, but lately, we saw a lot of them, as you probably have heard, thousands, thousands, a lot of unaccompanied children. Right. Um, and uh, and then the the young mothers and their young children started to come in, and so um, uh, the uh, the media um, I, I can tell that there was a lot of misunderstanding of what these migrants wanted to do, and and why coming over here. Right. And uh, so, so so what did you learn as the reason? You know. Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you wrote in your book about the horrific <clears throat> trip yes. to get here, yes. but what was the reason that they put themselves mm-hmm. in that situation yes. that was so dangerous? I had to figure out a way to explain in this book why people decide to come. Um, and, of course, we can see the immediate reasons. A lot of these immediate reasons had to do with the fact that they felt threatened. Mm-hmm. They, um, they, uh, the gang, the the street gangs were so dominant. And it's coming in El Salvador. It's uh, in the three, well, well the, three. the triangle uh, countries uh-huh. of um, of Central America, which is uh, Guatemala being the largest, and then Honduras, and then El Salvador. Uh-huh. So um, I took. Um, basically all of their, their stories, and I learned that there were some very, you know, unique commonalities. All of these women immediately uh, 
the things that they needed to do. They had taken all the options of what to do to resolve the problem. And the problems had to do with that they felt threatened mm-hmm. or children are being recruited by the gangs um, or, you know, there was a brother or you know, a father or someone that got involved with and they were after them because of what the family member did, you know, right. all kinds of things. But they felt that their lives um, were going to be taken if they stayed. Now, why didn't they move, you know, here or there, here? Because it is unbelievable how much is the whole area has been permeated by the, the gangs. And um, the, uh, the street gangs have become so integrated in the community. They really didn't, couldn't tell anymore who was really? with which group and which one was with the other group. But it's the, um, uh, the Barrio 18 and the MS-13. Uh, right, and if you showed that you were doing something to help someone from one gang and you to be exactly killed. and you exactly. didn't even know that you were doing it exactly yeah I mean they mm-hmm. would describe to me their neighborhood and they said now from this street this way this belongs to that particular gang and from this street that and if you are found if you from here and you wonder even accidentally you know you may be killed they have seen so many killings uh-huh. they have seen so many extortions um, and they are just crushed by fear. Um, and uh, they cannot move anywhere because they either will be found because they have a way of communicating. If they know that you are from El Salvador and you go into Guatemala, they will know that you're from Salvador. And they, <laughs> that even by itself is, is a, 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 you know, a reason to, to hurt you. Um, so a lot of these women have fought through all of their options. Mm-hmm. The only thing they can do is to take the chance and go through Mexico and to the border, the U.S.-Mexican border, to ask for asylum. Now, of course, a lot of them actually hire smugglers, and these smugglers will take them up to the border. It's not necessarily the checkpoint with the understanding that they would tell them, okay, now you follow this road that way and you will come to the checkpoint or you'll come to a border patrol and he will take you into the headquarters, you know, that sort of thing. And so that's what they were going by, you know. This is what they did. Uh, they, uh, some of these women um, took their, their either one, two young children with them um, with very little money and they had to make that money last until they actually got there. Right. A lot of horrible things happen. Um, I can tell you one particular story. Now, the the thing that I also need to mention um, here is that I wanted to maintain the privacy of these women. Sure. So none of their names are real. Sometimes I actually purposely um, manipulated the, the facts because I wanted to mask them as much as possible. Right, because their um, lives could be in danger. Their lives could be in danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you read these stories, and they're brief stories, then you can see that they're representations, you know. That's the gist of it, is to help you understand what these women um, are going through. Now, I did include 
one uh, particular part of a story by a woman from Honduras who um, took the trip uh, through Mexico and they um, went, they had a very unfortunate situation where they were kidnapped by a rival uh, cartel, uh, the Golfo. And um, they took them all and they took them to a, an abandoned house, in, you know, somewhere. She relayed to me all of those particular details. But this woman, it's amazing how uh, you meet a lot of women who are, in, in her case, for instance, just for an example, she was following, pursuing an educational degree. She wanted to be scientist, a biologist, you know, that sort of thing, or even into nursing, you know, something like that. Very highly intelligent woman. And she was taking her little, her little one with her. And um, she says that they were so struck with fear that the smugglers would not get the money or the smugglers would not give the cartel the money that they were asking. And she said that, I don't know how I did it, but I just found the words to talk to the cartel members and tell them, you will get what you need. You don't have to kill anybody. And somehow that worked. Mm-hmm. And they wow. were able to get, it was powerful, powerful. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they were able to get um, on the, you know, the money. Uh, I don't know when, you know, she didn't uh, give me the details, but they were able to get back on the road. Oh, that's what it was. The smuggler's uh, car broke down. Uh-huh. And so they had to, um, and then that's when they they were followed they were by kidding. that particular mm-hmm. cartel. Yeah. So they were back on the road, and they had to walk. So they walked, walked. They were close to the border. She said, "I don't know how close we were." They were close, and then here comes a guy, uh, a man in a pickup truck, and they, he said, "Come on, you know, I'll give you a ride." And she said, "We really believed he was an angel, uh-huh. sent to us." You know, I mean, it, it's that's kind of the intensity that they were going right. through. They finally made it up to the, the smuggler took them to an area in the river where he was able to get a boat that was hiding in the bushes, and they were uh, they got onto the boat, and uh, there was a teenager in there. There was another couple, and then there was Jenny, and then her uh, her little child, and uh, they they were able to get them, and then the it wasn't very. It was narrow, so they were able to get across. Um, and then, as they did that, they started walking down the street. You know, mm-hmm. just like they said. And they found a border patrol. She says, "We were so happy to see them. We just, you know, help, please help us, help uh-huh. us." They got in the in the border patrol, and they were hungry. They were thirsty, exhausted, and and she saw a bottle of water. Uh, right beside the border patrol driver, and uh, she says, "You know, can you please give us a little bit of water? We're so thirsty." And he takes that bottle and hides it. He says, "No, I don't have any water." So when they got to the headquarters, the teenager saw a bottle that was half filled, and no one was looking. So he went. He goes over there. He signals to to Jenny, the woman, and he says. So he gets the, the water, he pours a, a, a capful of water, um, and he and each person then gets a capful, very ceremoniously, um, with 
you know, <laughs> as if, you know, this was the most wonderful treasure. And she says to me, I've just never have had so much joy and gratitude for a teenager to do that for us, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, so and uh, they, they would often leave in the middle of the night so no one could hear them. They often left with just a bag, just immediate things that they could just, because the neighbors would With tell rat on them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so they had to do it. So no one was looking, and certainly none of the cartel members were uh, vigilant. Um, one woman said uh, when the dogs would no longer bark, that told me that was the night that I could go. And that's the way that she got out of there. So you mentioned something that I think is really that they were looking for Border Patrol. They weren't running from Border Patrol. No, no. So the, what is the law about seeking asylum? The law says that um, you go to the checkpoint. Mm-hmm. You go to wherever the Border Patrol officer is there on official business, and you tell them that you are there to seek asylum. Now, um, there was a modification to that as a result of the zero tolerance and where I heard that the individuals must go to an exact checkpoint. And I think it was just meant to confuse people, you know, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. But it's always been once they go, they seek the patrol, the assistance, or they go to that checkpoint if they know where it is. And uh, and they say, I my name is so and so, and I'm here to seek asylum, and that immediately already um, it is uh, registered as uh, asylum is an individual who is fleeing a violent situation. They're being persecuted, right. and there's actually a very detailed uh, definition of an asylum seeker who then is a refugee. Um, but that was that definition that we've had in the books, in, in the Homeland Security uh, handbook, changed when uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions said, we will no longer accept people because they are fleeing the violence from street gang. We will no longer accept people who are fleeing because of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Now, domestic violence is not like the domestic violence, I mean, it's bad anywhere. Domestic violence, and these are some of the stories that I include in my book. These are women that uh, were constantly being threatened by their partner. They almost uh, killed them several mm-hmm. times. So in the case of one, she said she uh, had a, a scar from a, a saw that the man was trying to uh, hit her with. Um, she, uh, he, she says that the he uh, shot her in a shotgun and almost missed her, missed her leg and was able then to get away from him. I mean, these are extreme, severe violences that they go through. And the question is, well, why don't they go to the police? Well, that's the other big point that I make in the book. Police, policing um, enforcement uh, officials are not like here in the United States. Are they, are they owned by the gangs? They're owned by the gangs. 
Uh-huh. They are working with them. And, you know, these women come from, uh, well, they come from different areas, but a lot of them do come from smaller uh, communities or, you know, towns where there's definitely no one that they can turn to, mm-hmm. not even their family members. Because in, in particularly in the domestic violence, the woman is perceived as the man's property. Mm-hmm. They do not have any kind of rights. And so when they even seek for help, from their immediate family, they say, well, you know, that's your business. You know, that's nothing that we can do about, you know. Right. And so here they are trying to avoid getting killed, and um, they can't turn to anyone, certainly not the police. I mean, they they could get killed the next day. I mean, that's how threatened they felt. And so they have no other way, except no other options, but, you know, to seek asylum here. So now you wrote this book before the zero tolerance went into effect. Yes. So when you were interviewing the women, you mentioned to me that they had their children with them. <clears throat> they had the children. This is a detention center that holds the women and their children. Okay. There's different detention centers. There's one for men and there's one for unaccompanied children and so forth. This one was uh, for the young women. And that's why I, I include in the title in the shadow of the half moon, because these are young uh, people, and the half moon is, uh, well, one is that uh, they still have a life, you know, the other half of their lives, that they want to make sure that it is for the sake of their children, Mm -hmm. and also because they leave under the cover of night. Right. Um, But uh, these uh, women, uh, you know, tearfully, talk about how they cannot live this kind of life with their children. They don't want this life for their children. They want the opportunity to have a decent life, you know. They they are willing to sacrifice for their children. And so um, to them, the most precious thing in the world are their, their children. children. Exactly. And um, so when I heard about the zero tolerance and of course uh, I had already seen when I was researching the book I went to the Homeland Security uh, webpage and I found the policies and one new policy that I noticed was that even the person who is you know this is their word smuggling the children can be uh, subject to arrest and uh, the question was well of course it was you know uh, obviously, it was purposely confusing. That told me, you know, wait a minute. What if the child is being accompanied by a parent? These are not know? unaccompanied these children. These are not unaccompanied children. And these are very young children, you yeah. know. And so, and I wrote that in. I put it in the book because I wanted to, to, you know, make clear that this was already in the works. But it was purposely confusing. But I heard of what actually they were doing. It was just mind-boggling. So what are they doing? So some, they people, were, some people, I think, might have the, you know, a notion mm-hmm. that children are being removed from people who may or may not be their parents because mm-hmm. this might be somebody who's going to, uh, you know, use them mm-hmm. in, for trafficking. Right. So right. people think, oh, this is protection right. for the children. Right. But what do they really do? Well, I think what they were trying to do is cast a very wide net. <laughs> if you believe that what they were doing was 
protecting the children from smuggling. There's just so much of, uh, less of that, more of parents really, truly, sincerely wanting to seek asylum, and they have every right to. And, and that's they have legal. That's legal. And that's very legal. Exactly. Not, these are not illegal people who exactly. were doing breaking the law. Mm-hmm. They're going to mm-hmm. a border patrol mm-hmm. agent saying, "I'm seeking asylum." Mm-hmm. And once they are in U.S. soil, our Constitution says that they are protected, no matter if they are citizens or not. They um, are uh, expected to have due process. Uh-huh. So they cannot, you know, be sent to jail and, and uh, presumed guilty. They are presumed innocent, as all of us are. Um, there's also the uh, uh, the international uh, human rights uh, conventions that tell us that these individuals, because obviously there's so many people in the world that are seeking asylum in, in other countries. Right. And as they are fleeing violence. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, the kind of um, uh, policy then that was modified and changed to suit whatever it is that they wanted to accomplish, the the government, that is. And uh, so they they separated the, the children. Now, I've heard so many different, and I think that um, the Border Patrol agents, themselves were confused because they would pick up groups of people and and as as it would always do they would give them that um, due process they take them to detention and then they were uh, going through the process of, of uh, setting up an interview with an asylum officer and then they would be released and so some of these were actually um, doing that there were others that were taking them to a situation where they were then separated from mm-hmm. the, um, from each other. So it was very, very confusing, but I think it was a part of that um, to, to make it confusing and so that people would, and immediately, of course, there were the AOU, there were activists who were, uh, who were demanding answers. And, uh, and in, in fact, the ACLU, as you know, uh, were able to be successful in stopping. You know, however, just recently I noticed that there is yet another uh, action that is going to be taken into effect, where they um, will be more specific and 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 they're they're targeting the children. They're targeting the children. They're making the children make a decision. You know. So what's is, happening to these? So a lot of so they stopped separating parents from their children right yeah. now. Yes. But many of the parents have been sent home. Or deported, yes. And the children are still, are here. still here. Yes. Um, I did see a video from Los Angeles Times of a group of people, one of them being an attorney. They actually found parents that were deported of the children that are still here. So they went to talk to the parents in a very remote area in Guatemala. And uh, these are very young parents and just heartbroken, as you can imagine. And uh, they asked them, well, you know, how often do you talk to your child? Um, you know, once a week, you know, they actually were able to communicate. And what does, it te- what does the child tell you? And they just said, you know, well, when can I go home? You mm-hmm. know, mom. And then the, the, the father would state, uh, you know, 
we are just trying to do the best for our children. We do not want to harm them anyway. And of course, you know, everybody knows that. It's so obviously clear, at least for the observer. Right. Um, but uh, that is the case. And uh, um, I think that, uh, you know, the families, uh, I think it's important to notice that uh, there are a lot of uh, internally uh, displaced people in the country. So sometimes the parents already are homeless. Mm-hmm. And when they attempt to come to the United States, and so I can imagine some of these um, parents are difficult to find right? because of their situation, especially if they're in a remote part of the country. Remote, and, and a lot of that's where we get a lot of these individuals who are in very violent, torn, and uh, conflict so, uh, situations. So, of the women that you interviewed, and there were nine in the book, right? Yes. Um, did any of them receive asylum here with their children? Do you know? What I, not, not the ones in particular. However, um, in talking with the legal team, um, there is uh, the whole process takes about a year. Okay. And yes, there have been a lot of success stories where what normally had, had uh, occurred was that once the woman uh, was released from detention with her child, they then uh, were to, uh, obviously, they had to have someone that they could stay with. Right. So once they established that, then they would take them to the bus stop. And I was there also in San Antonio working with them, um, helping them understand their, their bus ticket. Um, then they were uh, to be then sent to the people. Some of these are relatives. Some of these are sponsors, you know, whatever it is. But they are there. They're always tracked. And they're Uh always supposed to check in whenever they have a change of address or whatever. Um, They have to get an attorney. One way or another, they have to have an attorney. And then they have to go to the court on their court date. And all of this takes approximately a year. And a lot of times, then the the attorney will allow them to get or help them get a work visa, which then immediately they're able to at least make some money. Right. And a lot of that money, as you know, uh, goes back home as well. But um, but then you know the whole process, that whole just that particular process, just to get a visa to stay, and then to continue is one year. But all of that takes years and years uh, mm-hmm. to. Get and as you know, the asylum, uh, the uh, immigration courts is backlogged. Right. I heard seventy thousand people are in the on the waiting list. I mean, on and off, makes it very, very difficult, you know, for for these so families. If listeners are interested in somehow helping, right, mm-hmm. and getting involved and in doing something to help these women or their children. Uh, the parents who've been separated from children. Do you know yes. of any way that people can get involved? Yes. Um, there is an organization called Raices, R-A-I-C-E-S. That means roots, Raices. Uh, I understand they're all over the United States. Uh, there's probably one here in, in Austin, but the most active one is the one in San Antonio. Uh-huh. So they're always uh, saying, look, you don't have to know the language. If you don't know the language, you can help at the shelter. Because mm-hmm. sometimes they have to stay overnight, you know, before they actually get on the bus. And- right. Uh, you can help us uh, 
and when they go to the bus stops mm-hmm. and they have lunch, if they're going to be, they look at their tickets and they're going to be spending the whole 24 hours on the bus, they can help them, you know, get that lunch and, and so forth, you know. So there's some things, but certainly bilinguals um, are needed uh, to a great extent in working with these parents. Also, and uh, this I haven't seen a whole lot, I've seen a little bit, but there are uh, forums set up, meetings where the, uh, the attorneys, anyone who has been intimately involved will come in and talk to the people and uh-huh. say, this is what's happening, this is what we're doing, uh, and some of that information is confirmed by the whoever is there, and some of the information is new. Um, but the important thing is that the community becomes educated mm-hmm. and informed so that when they hear others talk about uh, something that is not correct, uh, they have misinformation, they can provide that accurate information. Right. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, the government, uh, as you know, that particular department uh, is so secretive and they are very, um, they purposely um, set confusing agendas. Um, It's, you know, it's very much if you're a a student of of, uh, political science and, and history, it's as if you're reading something the CIA, you know, right. handbook, um, and it's sad because we're dealing with families that have gone a tremendous. Oh my gosh, the 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 situation that they've gone through already. Uh, but even so, they're able to take the risk so that they will do. That and for we the, don't want to put more trauma on them once they're here. Yeah, yeah, but. Uh, so if people are interested in reading your book and, and learning about these, these women and the stories of the women mm-hmm. that go through mm-hmm. this, yeah. how can people get a copy of your book? Oh, well, it's, it's Amazon. Uh, we have one in Amazon. Also, I'm trying to put them in libraries. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, tomorrow I have a, uh, a book talk at one of the libraries in oh. uh, San Marcos. Okay. Um, and uh, basically... And and it's not because I haven't been turned down, uh, Dr. Carpa, because I've been going, I went to Austin uh, Library, and they didn't seem interested at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, in my hometown of uh, Kyle, the man said, oh, yes, you know, definitely, we'll, we'll include it in our, we'll put it on our shelf. <laughs> okay. So, um, but I'm trying, but it's Amazon. Uh, it's, and, it's, and the full can, title is? In, in the in the shadow of a half moon struggles of Central American women seeking a new life. Okay, great. Yeah. All right. Well, this is really interesting, and I know we could talk for a long time. <laughs> I would love to have you come back and and fill us in and yes. anything new that comes yes. up. Yes, I'm always uh, continuously working. I have another a couple of uh, projects going. Um, my most recent one uh, here uh, would be to travel to Oaxaca. Uh-huh. Um, I want to know what uh, the women are doing in terms of uh, organization in the public spheres and how is it that they make things happen and change within their communities. Um, and, of course, if you go anywhere in Latin America, you're automatically having to deal with security. 
Right. So um, Oaxaca is definitely going through all of that right now. Yes. And I want to know. I want to learn. And and so uh, so yeah, the way that women organize themselves and uh, and make change and and uh, how they do that in public spheres and so, so maybe forth. you can come back and talk I about the fact so. that that would be interesting. <laughs> I'd be very interested and in, we could also learn from that here, even though yes. we're you know, we're not in that same situation, but we oh, certainly need Yeah, to. there's always application. Yeah. Everywhere. You know, absolutely. And, uh, so but this is uh something that I continue to follow and in whatever way that I can, even if it's just to, I did um, have talks with the university students uh, here at the University of Texas, someone to a sociology um, group um, of, of undergraduates, and I also went to a Mexican American Studies mm-hmm. forum as well. So, anything that I can do uh, to make to help people you. understand, here are the dots and just connect them. Yeah, you know, and then you can find a lot of answers that we need so desperately to be able to disseminate yeah. and. Um, help people understand that these are human beings, right? <laughs> That's really and not only, but but look at all the suffering mm-hmm. that they've gone through mm-hmm. and they continue to go through. Maybe we need something to help to um, yes. relieve some of that. Yes. Suffering. You know, and, and uh, I wrote my book um, for activists for uh, or those who want to advocate. And so uh, it's, um, uh, you know, you can do it too. You okay. know, I mean, it's it's something that needs to be done. Yes, right. And to help others understand and to build on that knowledge. Well, thank and thank you so much for doing what you're doing. Oh, you're most welcome. All right. Thank you for having me. All right. <laughs> All right. So we're going to take a break, and we have some more to come. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Worry about memory loss? Dr. Ronald DeVere, certified neurologist and director of Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders in Lakeway, has been helping those with dementia and memory loss for over 12 years, specializing in the diagnosis, treatment, and counseling of those with memory loss and dementia. Dr. DeVere also has a book to reduce your worry and fear by knowing the fact. Memory loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. Available now on Amazon.com. Dr. Ronald DeVere, Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders center in Lakeway, and his book, Memory Loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 512-261-7909. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. And we are back. 
If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And that was, I really hope that you enjoyed that interview. I think that was really um, interesting. We decided to go over time because it's such an important topic. And you know, if you've listened to this program before, it's one of particular interest of mine, especially in... Um, dealing with the children. Um, I've gone on um, the news in South Texas to talk about what's happening with the children on the border. And, um, you know, it's really traumatic for those children that are still here with their parents back um, who knows where at this point. So the more education that we all have about it, the the better it is and the more that we can do to try to ameliorate some of the trauma that these children and their parents are going through. Okay. So um let me let me let you know about the latest news. So tomorrow I will be interviewed on One Life Radio, which is a program about alternative and holistic health on iHeart Radio. And um, that will air at 12.15 p.m. Central Time in Dallas on Talk Radio 1190 AM. That's their Radio station there. And it will also be rebroadcast in several cities around the country as a syndicated program. So it will air in different cities at different times. Um, on iHeartRadio, so in New York and Seattle and I forgot where else, but it'll be all over the nation. And then it will also be available on podcast, so you can listen wherever you are on the Internet. So I will be posting the link on my Facebook page, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years, as well as on my website. And... Um, I will post that under uh, the book, on my book page, because that will be an interview about my book. And it is an alternative health program, so I will be talking in particular about the uh, food for the soul um, section of my book. And um, I'm really looking forward to it. So I hope if you're in the Dallas area or wherever iHeartRadio broadcasts the show, One Life Radio, you'll be listening. Um, And I hope that everyone else will catch it on podcast. I'm excited. So that's tomorrow, Monday, October 15th. And then we are heading up to Colorado on Wednesday. And I will be doing a book event in Manitou Springs at the Good Karma Cafe, which is right outside of Colorado Springs, next Sunday at 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time. We will be at the Good Karma Cafe in Manitou Springs. And um, that information is also on my Facebook page as well as my website on the book page as well. So you can, if you're in the Colorado Springs area, you can check it out and see the exact address of the Good Karma Cafe. And I'm sure it's also easy to find on um, on a GPS. 
All right, so that's the news there. Last Tuesday, I did a book signing here in Austin at Bookwoman. And it was a very, very rainy day and a lot of flooding here in Austin. Luckily, the sun came out just around 4.30 that day, and it was dry by the evening. But I, I'm sure that there were several people that had made the decision they weren't going anywhere <laughs> on that day. And we still had a pretty decent turnout. And it was a very nice group of people. Um, you can see some of those pictures on my Facebook page and on the website. And I really enjoy these book events because I like to meet the people who are reading the book, and I learn a lot. Um, I have learned from those book events and just from people who have read the book, who have contacted me to tell me how much they enjoyed it, um, people who I've met in various places who are really interested in reading it. And um, when I wrote this book, the audience that I had in mind was really mostly women who would be around my age. What I've discovered is that that's not the only audience that's interested in the book. I've had elderly people who are extremely interested in following their passion as whatever that passion might be, and young people who around the age, I guess, that I would say that I started feeling like, wow, that I know there's something more and I really want to figure out what it is, that those people are feeling that same excitement, female and male, and saying to me, thank you so much. This is exactly what I need to hear, and I'm so excited. Um, so I've gotten a lot of excited responses, um, and definitely people in the mid-50s and 60s who are interested, and again, not just women, both men and women. So um, I am learning a lot. I'm feeling very encouraged by these uh, book events, and so I will be planning more, and I hope that if I come to an area near you or if you know of a place that would be a great place for me to have such an event, contact me. I hope that you'll come and meet me. Um, I did meet a few people who I had never met in person who, but who had connected on my Facebook page with me who did come to the book event in Austin. And I hope that that continues to happen. Um, I just, you know, that, I think that's what keeps me going and that's part of what the passion is in what I do. Um, so next Sunday we'll be taking a break from the show so we can do that event. And then we have a lot more. We're, we are scheduled with this program all the way through January at this point, which is pretty far ahead. We usually don't book that far ahead, but I've had so many um, people interested in being guests and so many people that I've met along the way that I thought would be great guests who said yes. So we're, we're really good. We have some really good shows coming up. And I know Art is working on the music, and he's brought a lot of really great musicians back to the show and some new musicians coming on the program. Um, in terms of blogs, I have not written a blog in a couple of weeks, but my last on thriveglobal.com, and it's on my website. And you can just click on Publications. Uh, the website soon will be upgraded, so then it will just say blog. 
and you can click on blog. <laughs> and um, I have another one coming out very soon. And I think that's it for the, the news. The other part of that is that we were videotaping this interview that I did with Irma Guadagama, and that will be uploaded to our YouTube channel, and you'll be able to watch that on YouTube um, because I know that it's, it's fun to actually see what's going on. Oh, the other big news, this is, I can't believe I forgot that. The big news, big, big news is I'm working on an online course that goes deeper into the topics of the book. So I really recommend reading the book before taking the course, um, whether you read it on Kindle or paperback, I don't care. Um, and the course will be launching the third week of January. So I think that's a good time for people to start on a new path um, or one that they have given up on and want to start again on. And the um, the pre-launch will be available in mid-November where people can actually sign up early and prepay and will only be charged half price for the course. So the advantage of signing up early um, will be, of course, that it's half price. But the other part of that is that if, if you have already read the book and you sign up in November, then you can have some input into how the course is developed. You can help in the creative process in that you can let me know and send me emails telling me what topic in the book you'd like me to be sure to go deeper into in a in a course and you can even send some questions we'll be doing some facebook live videos those are obviously free where you can also ask some questions part of the um, course will also be a a private facebook group where people who are involved in the course can get together and discuss um, topics from the course and i will be part of that group so people can ask questions and that sort of thing. And we have more things in store, retreats, and that's further down the line. Um, and individual consulting also further down the line. Not psychotherapy. I really do that. <laughs> this will be about the topics of the book and much more specific. Um, so that's, that's big news. And I will be giving a um, a discount code here. The, the pre-launch is limited seating. That one I can't give to everyone who, you know, it has to, once I hit a certain number, I, I have to stop. But everybody who listens to this program will um, hear the um, discount code for the course. And then you'll be able to get uh, quite a bit discount for the course if you sign up for January. Okay. So I just wanted to talk for a few minutes about a follow-up to what what Irma was talking about because in in terms of not the specifics of what she was talking about with the, the women who have are seeking asylum, but in how um, creating meaning in our life 
following our passion, um, how it's so important. And I, I say that's a follow-up to Irma because I think that what she's doing is following her passion, and it has created um, a lot of meaning for her life. She just keeps going, um, and it's, she feels driven to do this. It's a, it's a mission for her. And in doing that, in creating meaning and following our passion, we are creating a better world. So we're not just helping ourselves when we follow our passion, but our purpose is much bigger than that. Our purpose becomes helping the world. We're bringing light into the world, whatever that passion might be, even if it's specifically doing something to help people like Irma is. She's really trying to help um, these families that are um, coming across the border and now trying to help women in, in, uh, you know, in Latin America and help us in educating us. Those are very that was a very directly um, helping us by following her passion. But even if your passion is something that just feels good singing or playing an instrument or writing, um, when we do that, when we follow our passion, we are helping the world because we're bringing light into the world. Um, I am so thankful to the people around me who have inspired me by following their passion. By seeing other people follow their passion and their dreams, it has um, caused me to, to realize that I can do it also, that I can follow my dreams. And, and I watch them as they navigate their journey. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's bumpy but they just keep going. And that gives me the inspiration to follow my dreams. And when we do that, we just keep, it just keeps go, getting passed from one person to another. I've discovered in, in talking to people about my book who were interested um, that they're, they become very excited. And they, they say to me, wow, I really want to follow my dreams. And I just, love talking to people who are following their dreams and really understand the the excitement and the passion behind doing that. And so if we could all have that state of mind of passion and excitement, then all of this negativity of anger and trying to hurt each other and being mean to each other kind of feels like something that we're not even interested in. When I am on my path to really following my dreams and following my passion, I feel happy. I feel excited. It's, as I've mentioned here before and I mentioned in the book, it's been my north star through the darkest of times. And I have no desire to be around darkness at those times. I don't want to be around people who want to want to be angry at me or angry at the world and um, who don't care about other people. I guess 
in a way, it sort of um, it supports that part of us that wants to be kind and generous and not expect anything in return. And that in itself can be a passion. That can be a passionate pursuit, finding ways of being kind and generous every day without expecting anything in return. And imagine the feeling of purpose and meaning that would give us every every day when we do that, that that would give us. And imagine how wonderful that would be for the world. We may think that just our behavior, one person can't change the world, but it really can. It's a ripple effect. Our kindness and generosity to another person, our passionately inspiring another person causes a ripple effect because then that person goes out and wants to help more people and be kind and generous to people and it just keeps growing and growing geometrically. So, you know, I think um, I've spoken about this before, about finding meaning and how it's so important to follow our passion in order to find meaning. And the passion in itself can be something that creates meaning for the world or just something that feels good in singing. Or when I see... um, a really good musician, I hear a really good musician play and I know that they are really passionate about their music, that is healing for me. That inspires me. When I see a great artist and all of their work, that's inspiring for me. That's why we have musicians and artists on this program because it's all part of healing and it's part of following our passion. Um, So I had mentioned before about... um, the psychiatrist Viktor Frankl, Dr. Viktor Frankl, who was a psychiatrist during the Holocaust, and he was a Holocaust um, prisoner. He was a concentration camp prisoner, and he ended up getting through that, and he developed a type of therapy which has to do with finding meaning in even the darkest of situations. And what he discovered in the concentration camp that the people who helped their fellow prisoners, giving them their last crumb of food, for example, those were the people who kept their internal integrity so that when they came out of, if they survived the concentration camp, those were the people that have were able to get on with their life in a, in, and feel whole. So they found meaning even in the darkest of moments. They had a purpose. At that moment, their purpose was to help their neighbor. And his whole therapy that he did after the Holocaust ended was based on finding meaning no matter our situation and how that finding of meaning creates passion. So it's a it's a cycle. When we follow our passion, we create meaning in our life. And when we do something purposeful where we and meaningful, no matter our situation, it gives us more passion and energy to keep going. And so and that's really, you know, that's a chapter in my book, but I think it's really the whole um 
the whole theme of this book and of this radio show um, is finding passion and creating meaning. And um, I really hope that there are listeners and readers out there that are inspired by these words and, and, and want to go and find what is their passion and to follow it. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a big thing. Um, it can be something small every day. It doesn't mean that you have to give up your your source of income, your day job. But it can mean that. It can be mean finding a new source of income that you're passionate about. But it doesn't have to be. It can be an everyday thing an everyday pursuit, no matter what else we're doing in our lives. So I'm going to end it on that note, a very positive note, and um, I'm looking forward to um, some more of of these um, chances to talk more about following our passion in person at the book signings and at um, talks. Um, that I give as well as right here on the show and um, we'll be back in two weeks to talk with another guest who's also passionate about what she does and that's what that's what we do here we talk to passionate people the more passionate someone is the more interesting and enjoyable uh, they are to to have here on the show an interview because they inspire us no matter what they're doing Okay, so on that note, I want to let you know what's happening in the next Fed. October 21st, we'll be off. Uh, We'll be in Colorado Springs at the Good Karma Cafe. And then we'll be back here on October 28th with another show live here in the studio. And joining us right here in the studio will be Perry Arledge, a.k.a. Perry A., she calls herself, to discuss the many health benefits of calcium bentonite clay. And we love this natural healing substance. So we're looking forward to learning even more about it and how it can be of benefit and to share it with our listeners. And more, we always have um, interesting discussions here and um, maybe some music. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from this show, um, learn about previous programs, read my blog, Go to my website, drmaracartel.com. You can also read about my book and about the upcoming course and uh, watch videos of interviews with my guests here at the website, drmaracartel.com. And also be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Cartel, Your Golden Years, for upcoming shows, information about upcoming shows and, and information about where I'll be speaking next and um, blogs as they're as they are they come into print so everything new is on my facebook page and you can also listen to this evening's program in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to blog talk radio that's b-l-o-g talk radio.com slash your golden years this evening's program was produced by accomplice entertainment postal Productions, and psyched up Productions and sponsored by neurologist and memory specialist Dr. Ronald Revere and by Storyhouse. And special thanks to my guest, Irma Guadarrama. And, of course, thank you to Art. And thank you all for listening. 
Have a peaceful night and inspiring two weeks. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show.